Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down box or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lay. I'm very thrilled to have once again here with me in the studio, my co-pilot here, Katie Goulis. Welcome, Katie Goulis. Thank you, Father Tom. Welcome back from college, right? All graduated. I am. I graduated a couple of weeks ago, and um, it was really great. I'm glad to be home for a long time now. Well, this week in America, we observe Memorial Day in which we look back and remember those who came before us and realize that we stand in this country of freedom only because we stand upon the shoulders of those who came before us and paid the ultimate price for that freedom. Memorial Day actually commemorates those who have died in battle, not just anyone who died, but those who specifically gave their life in battle to protect our freedoms. And so we kind of look back at them. We remember them, which is a big word in the Byzantine church and Eastern churches is memory. We keep their memory alive. And we do so on this Memorial Day in our country, and and I'm proud to say that, that our country does observe Memorial Day overall rather reverently. Wouldn't you say, Katie, it's one of those things I think we haven't quite ruined yet in the secular world, (laughs) our secular approach to things. So many of the great feast days and holidays have been so banalized and so, so secularized, but Memorial Day seems to still preserve pretty much almost a prayerful kind of, of tone to it. Well, in the churches, especially the Eastern churches, as I mentioned, we often look back as well, but not just to linger in the past but to make the past also our present and also our future. In other words, we have a sort of a sense of timelessness, of connecting the past, the present, and the future. In the liturgical calendar in the Byzantine church and many Eastern churches, this week we have, of course, the Sunday of All Saints, in which we do something similar as what's happening, coincidentally, in our country. We will look back on those who came before us, because we know that the riches that we have in our church are only because of what was passed down to us. We stand again on the shoulders of those who paid the price, the martyrs, the saints, all the classifications of saints, and we look back at them, we remember them, but in a way that makes them present. It's not just remembering the past like a distant memory and paying a certain homage to that, but rather it's actually making present what is the past. So the past, present, and future all come together. This is what we call Kairos time, or sort of an eschatological time that we use in the church, especially in the Eastern churches and the Eastern liturgy. We call this the Sunday of All Saints because we remember all of the saints that came before us. Now, during the year, 
Every day of the year, there are at least one or several saints on the liturgical calendar that we commemorate. And also, there is in our calendar, especially during the Saturdays of Lent, and then one Saturday after Lent, which comes just prior to Pentecost Sunday, we remember our deceased relatives and family members who have gone on before us. And in fact, we often refer to them as saints, kind of like with a small s. They may not be canonized per se, but we have a certain hope that those who came before us of our own relatives and family members who we knew were believing Christians and who we believe lived the life of faith, that they have a reasonable hope of resting in blessed repose with our Lord in the bosom of Abraham in heaven. And so we commemorate them, and of course we ask God to take their souls, to we sort of commend their souls to God forever. And we do this four times around the Lenten season and one time more. And that comes the day before Pentecost. So it kind of works like this. It's kind of a neat cycle. We remember those who came before us, who passed on. We come to Pentecost Sunday, in which we commemorate the unity of the whole church. Remember, Pentecost was a unifying event. It brought the whole church together. The church was inspired by the Spirit, and the apostles could speak in the language of people whom they never knew, languages they did not know before, which unified the world. In other words, the message of our Lord Jesus Christ was able to be communicated to everyone despite languages in that moment of Pentecost. So there's this great sort of unifying rhythm that's happening, and then we bring that to a certain completion by remembering all those who have, in fact, been brought into one body of Christ, those whom we know as saints. So it's remembering our deceased relatives and friends, commemorating then those who have come all together through the descent of the Holy Spirit, and then those who took that spirit, enlivened by that spirit, and lived it and passed this faith on to the rest of us. So there's kind of a neat rhythm in the ingenious liturgical tradition of the church, and we're right in the midst of that rhythm. So this Sunday is called the Sunday of All Saints, and of course this weekend as well, the Memorial Day weekend in terms of American celebrations, which is kind of a neat coincidence, perhaps even providential. But the idea is that we look back and remember because we know that we are what we are, we have what we have because of those who came before us, whether it's in the secular world, those who died for our freedom, or those who were saints. Now, we're going to talk about what we mean by saints, and we're also going to look at some of the ways in which we pray with and to and through the saints in our liturgical tradition. Now, first of all, about saints themselves. Now, Katie, you're a young lady. You've just come out of college and you've been around young people. When we use the word saints, what does that mean to people today, to young people? Oftentimes, people, a person will say, well, what do you expect? I'm not a saint. You expect me to be a saint? What, what is your sense of it? What do young people think about the word saint or sanctity today? Well, I think my sense might be a little bit different from the sense of a lot of the kids I went to college with. I think their idea of a saint would probably be somebody who has to stay home in the weekends and read their Bible and say their prayer and do their rosary and never have any fun or do anything outside of that. You know, they don't go out with their friends. They don't do anything. And I think that's what a common misconception of a saint is. But I think a saint to me is being and realizing the fullness of your humanity, the way that God intended you to be, the way that he originally created us to be. Oh, I can tell you were brought up in an Eastern Catholic church. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. You nailed it. In fact, if we dig into the riches of the Eastern church, we dig into the, what I'm going to call the theological anthropology. I know it's a big word, but it means what is the human person? What is a human being theologically? What is the deep meaning, the ultimate, the mystical meaning of being human? 
In the Eastern Church, we put it this way, that the human person was made, as Katie just said, to be in the image and likeness of God. In other words, we're like a, in a sense, a similitude of God. We, we sort of simulate God. Now, that's the truth. That's the starting point. We're meant to be holy. We're meant to be pure. We're meant to be images of God. In other words, that we choose love. We choose what is just. We choose what is right. And we do so naturally. In other words, it becomes natural for us to choose the way of love. That is the truth about the human person. And it's a very strong concept in Eastern spirituality. The person is made in the image and likeness of God, which means we are at our truest, our most human, when we are the most God-like. Now, unfortunately, we tend to, in our world today, define being human in a rather inhuman way. We always say that we're human whenever we make mistakes or we sin. We ask people, well, hey, you have to understand I'm only human. It's true, there is a part of the human condition as a result of sin that we can identify with being negative, you know, things that have to do with mistakes, bad things, crime, sin, death, sickness, all those bad things that we consider to be, well, we're just human. Okay, there's a truth to that in the fact that that's become part of the human experience, but it is not what it means to be human. What it means to be human, not just the human experience, but to be truly human, means to actually reflect God, to live in his image. In other words, to be as perfect as a creature can be. Very much like Adam and Eve were prior to the fall. We were in harmony with ourselves, in harmony with one another, in harmony with the environment, in harmony with God. Everything was in harmony. That's why it was the Garden of Paradise. And this is because we acted and imaged God. Now, what does it mean to image God, to be in his image and likeness? His likeness means to act like God, to be loving, to be full of light and, and beauty and truth, you know, to act like a holy being. In the image of God means that we're made with parts that are like his parts. Those parts are a mind, in other words, an intellect, a will, a spiritual dimension to us, in other words, our souls or our, our spirits, in other words, the Holy Spirit present in us. And now we can actually say we are also like God in the fact that we have a body. God is spirit, yes, but he also took on his own creation. He took on the human body. In fact, we just recently celebrated the enthronement of that human body on the very throne of God in heaven by means of Christ's ascension in glory. He ascended body and soul to heaven, and we pray over and over again during the ascension that this God enthroned human nature on his own throne, the throne of God, the divine throne. So we are like God in the fact that we have a body, we have will, we have intellect. We image God in that way, and his likeness is revealed in how we choose to love, choose to do what is right. Well, what happened was we lost the likeness from sin and we kind of tarnished the image. Just tarnished it. We didn't lose the image. We lost the likeness, but we did not lose the image. That remains. That cannot change. Our image means the way we were made. And we cannot change the way we were made. Only God can change that. So we still, the truth still remains that to be human is to be image and likeness of God. We're going to talk more about that in Sanctity with our co-host here, Katie Gullis, when we return. I'm Father Thomas Lloyd with Katie Lagunas on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. 
You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, and I am here to tell you that we are killing ourselves, literally killing ourselves, from the foods that we eat to the pills and liquids that we consume to the unborn children that we abort. Yet much of this demographic suicide can be laid at the very doorstep of the prevailing theory of evolution. On Saturday, June 5th, 2010, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, the Colby Center for the Study of Creation will present overwhelming evidence of how Darwin's theory of evolution, so widely accepted in the scientific and academic communities, is destroying us. Millions of people for generations have lost their faith and had their lives destroyed because they never had the opportunity to hear the evidence that you will hear at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, Saturday, June 5th at 1 p.m., located at 14610 Will Cook Road in Homer Glen, Illinois. For more details, call 708-645-0241 or go to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And may God be with you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Katie Goulis here with Father Thomas Loya. And before we get back to our talk about saints, we have a few interesting announcements to make about some upcoming events. The first one is the Orientale Lumen Euro East 3, the Councils of the Church conference that's coming up on July 5th through the 8th, 2010 in Constantinople or Istanbul, Turkey. And the Eastern Church's Journal, the Eastern Christian Publications, and the Orientale Lumen Foundation announce a popular and scholarly conference for lay men, lay women, religious, and clergy entitled Orientale Lumen Euro East III. Modeled after two previous conferences in Constantinople and over 10 years of success in Washington, D.C., the conference will be held from Monday afternoon, July 5th, until midday on Thursday, July 8th, 2010, in Constantinople, Istanbul, Turkey, at the Hilton Hotel and the Hulki School of Theology. The theme will be the Councils of the Church. This is open to the public but requiring pre-registration. The conference will provide an opportunity for Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Catholics, and Oriental Orthodox to gather, discuss, and learn about their respective traditions. It will include presentations by scholars and theologians, liturgical celebrations of many varieties, and opportunities for everyone to learn from each other and participate in a dialogue of love and understanding. For more information about this conference, you can visit their website at olconference.com. That's olconference.com. And if you want to learn a little bit more about the Eastern churches in general, there's another great website that you can visit, and it's the Eastern Christian Media website, and it represents the legacy, survival, and future of our faith, culture, and traditions that rest on unquestioned love, inclusion, and guidance in a world fraught with spiritual challenge. There is a worldwide marketplace of ideas where the young and not-so-young shop as each finds their way through life. 
Eastern Christian media puts thought, depth, and spiritual self-interest back on life's menu. And if you would like to visit the website, it's really simple. It's easternchristianmedia.com. And there's a lot of great videos. There's a lot of great dialogue on there, even featuring our own Father Tom. And there's also a video from the Palm Sunday Liturgy from here at Annunciation of the Mother of God, Byzantine Catholic Church. And it's just a really great resource for people looking for information about the Eastern Christian churches. So I do encourage you to check out that website. Once again, it's easternchristianmedia.com. And finally, we have another event coming up in June, and it is the Creation, Evolution, and the Crisis of Faith. And that will take place Saturday, June 5th from 1 to 4 p.m. at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church at 14610 Wilcook Road in Homer Glen, Illinois, featuring Hugh Owen and the Colby Center for the Study of Creation. Learn how much of our current health, moral, environmental, family, and educational problems have their origin in the theory of evolution. Lunch will be provided and a free will offering is requested. For information, visit TaborLife.org, that's TaborLife.org, or call 708-645-0762. Now, we've been talking a lot about saints and their life in the church today. And one of the things that we like to do in the Byzantine churches to explain this is to talk about how we pray it through our various liturgies. And so I'm going to take the time now, and Father Tom's going to come in and comment on some of the passages I'm going to read, to read a little bit about um, how we pray about the saints in our various liturgies. So the first passage I'm going to read is from the Vespers for the Sunday of All Saints. Truly the heroic martyrs have wrestled with beasts and were torn apart by their claws. They fell under the edge of the sword and were mutilated and tortured. They were thrown into fire and burned alive, dismembered and pierced with swords. All this they bore courageously, seeing in advance what was to come, the invading crowns and the glory of Christ, and now they intercede for our souls. Thank you, Katie. One of the things, hopefully the listeners heard in this, obviously, was <laughs> some gruesome details and a sense of chilling account of one of the characteristics of the saints, and a characteristic that we all have, believe it or not, that is, if we have been baptized. That characteristic is death, martyrdom, in some way, shape, or form, being human, and therefore I equate that with being sanctified, being a saint, is going to involve some form of martyrdom, either what we call blood martyrdom, as you heard in the passage Katie just read from our prayer service, or what we call white martyrdom. But the passage she just read actually has two levels of meaning. It means both the blood martyrdom that many of these saints did, in fact, incur. They were fed to lions and devoured by beasts and tortured and flayed alive. In fact, a lot of the accounts are very gruesome. At the same time, the other level is there is a white martyrdom, a kind of a enduring torture and self-denial and death and being, in a sense, spiritually flayed alive. As we resist temptations, we resist the power, the tyranny of our fallen side and try to struggle to choose the good. In other words, we are martyrs in another way. It's called white martyrdom, and that's actually was the basis of what we know today as monasticism, which eventually, especially in the West, gave rise to what we know as religious orders. It was all a part of white martyrdom. In other words, a martyrdom where we are dying to self, even though it may not be shedding blood necessarily, but still there is a certain death, a certain almost like torturous ordeal that we endure willingly so that we rise to our truer self. We rise to become more and more of that image and likeness of God. So martyrdom is one of the first characteristics that we come across in our liturgical texts that give us an idea of what it is to be a saint. Let's try another text, Katie. 
Come, let us celebrate the memory of the saints and the joy of the Holy Spirit, for the day of their feast has arrived, filling us with divine gifts. With purified conscience, let us cry out with joy and let us sing in their honor. Rejoice, O choir of prophets who announce the coming of Christ and who clearly see that which is far away. Rejoice, O apostles of the Lord, fishermen who gather the whole world in your nets. Rejoice, O company of martyrs, gathered from all the world in the same profession of faith. For this you suffered punishment and tortures before receiving the crown of victory. Rejoice, O multitude of holy fathers. By your ascetic efforts you subdued your body and put to death the passions of the flesh. You have been carried in spirit on the wings of divine love to heaven, where you enjoy the eternal blessings with the angel whose joy you share. Therefore, O apostles, prophets, and martyrs, together with the ascetics, intercede with the one who crowned you in heaven and pray unceasingly to him that he may deliver from the enemy all those who in faith and love celebrate your holy memory. Now, if you notice, the tone kind of shifts. And this is characteristic of Eastern prayer. It's kind of paradoxical, or in a sense, complementary. It moves us through some of the gruesome kind of choices and details, as we heard before, with the self-denial and the white and red martyrdom. And also, though, it shifts then and sort of puts that together with the joy. You notice the shift, that sense of joy. Through the suffering, the martyrs realize a certain joy. The martyrdom, you know, there was asceticism, the dying to self, the tortures, whether from white or blood martyrdom, become them the avenue towards joy. And so the liturgical text then shifts from just the gruesome details of martyrdom to then the joy. After martyrdom, the second characteristic is joy. How about another passage, Katie? Let us glorify the tabernacle and the heavenly gate, the most holy mountain and the shining cloud, the heavenly ladder and the mystical paradise, the deliverance of Eve and the precious and great treasure of the universe. For through her salvation came to the world and the ancient debt was forgiven. Therefore we cry out to her, intercede with your Son and God to grant forgiveness of sins to those who bow in true worship to your most holy birth giving. Well, can you guess what that chant was about? It was referring to the Blessed Virgin Mary. In other words, the Mother of God. If you notice, it had a a beautiful string. It was stringing together what we call allegorical typology. It's a big word, I know, but basically what it means is it takes references from the Bible that sort of are foreshadows or types, as it were, of the real thing, of the archetype. In other words, when we read the scriptures, especially the Eastern Church, we kind of read back into them and we see throughout the scripture, especially the Old Testament, all the imageries, like we heard candelabrum and Ark of the Covenant, tabernacle, mystical gate, all those images that come from Old Testament stories, the words of the prophets and so on, are basically all about two people. Two beings, that is, God in the form of Jesus Christ and his earthly mother, the mother of God, the Theotokos. In other words, we see Christ and the mother of God in all of the imagery of the Old Testament. And of course, that comes to fulfillment in the New Testament. But the liturgical text you just heard is another technique that we use on this Sunday of Saints, in which we look into the scripture for the hints or the foreshadowings of those who would become sanctified, most especially the mother of God. The Lord has filled with his favor his saints who live on the earth. In their flesh they have taken on the marks of his passion, which have become their adornment, shining brightly with the divine beauty. With our hymns we also praise them as flowers that cannot wither, and as spiritual holocausts, and as the star-filled sky of the church. Now you heard in this passage the reference to taking on something in the flesh. In other words, Christ... God, 
God in the person of Jesus Christ has taken on what he created. He became what he created. The creator becomes the creature while remaining the creator, as you like to say in the Eastern liturgy. He takes on our flesh, and in doing so, he becomes one of us while at the same time remaining God. Now, as we are born and as we are baptized, we take on then through our flesh, his flesh. So we take on what he endured in his flesh as he endured what we endure in our flesh. So again, there's a kind of a unity there of body there. A unity of body, a unity of woundedness, a unity of martyrdom. Once again, that theme reoccurs. The idea is that what God did to us by taking on our flesh is what we share in as well. And that is another characteristic that raises us up raises us, our human nature, body and soul, to that level of sanctity because we share in what Christ shared in as he chose to share in our human condition, our fallen human condition that he then eventually raised back to the level of sanctity and enthroned it on the very throne of God. I want to thank you for listening today to our segment on saints, and we hope that you will embrace this grand and noble and only real vocation of being human, and that is to want to become a saint. I'm Father Thomas Loya with Katie Gullis here on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W I L L dash C O O K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>